0: Hello, my name's Kate and I'll be sharing Sabbath School Lesson number 7. It's for February 5 to 11 and it's called Jesus the Anchor of the Soul. And the memory text is from Hebrews 6, 19 and 20 and it says, This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both secure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil, where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. And it's pretty cool to think about our hope being an anchor. Uh, What's an anchor? It's a heavy metal object that sinks to the bottom of the ocean to keep the ship steady and in one place, not blown around all over the sea. And just like the anchor, keeps a boat secure or a ship secure, so does the hope that we have that it keeps us secure. And so what is that hope? Well, that hope is that Jesus has gone before us, he's entered behind the veil, he has ministered his blood in place of our sins, and he is a high priest forever. It's very good news and Hebrews 5 and 6 just is Paul just trying to encourage the people he's basically saying don't just stay on milk eat some meat and i don't think he was saying don't be vegetarian i think he was saying sink your teeth into something substantial move forward don't you're not a baby in the faith anymore just keep growing and then he just talks about going on to perfection so maturity not laying again the foundation of repentance and dead works and and of faith, which are all repentance and faith toward God are very important. Dead works, not so much. But then chapter six, verse nine, it says, "'We're confident of better things concerning you, "'things that accompany salvation, "'though we speak in this manner. "'For God is not unjust to forget your work "'and labor of love, which you have shown toward his name, "'in that you have ministered to the saints "'and do minister.'" And then he says, "'Keep up the diligence because of the assurance "'and the hope and don't be sluggish Please copy those who are, who are working in faith and patience to inherit the promises. And that's for the people that he was talking to, but it's for us. It's go on to perfection, maturity. Don't be discouraged. God's not forgetting our work of labor. It's not that we're on our own here. It's not that we're doing this for nothing. Just be encouraged keep the faith. And I'm just reminded with Paul's pleading for people to just keep going and don't fall away. Don't be discouraged that we need to have complete distrust in self. And complete trust in Jesus, because that's the ticket. That's um, the only way that we'll survive. That's the only way we won't be discouraged and fall away. It's the only way that we will be saved. Complete trust in Jesus. Then on Sunday's lesson, it talks about those who have tasted the goodness of the word. So Hebrews 6, 4 and 5 says, For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift And have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come. And this is stopping mid-sentence, but we're just going to talk about this part, and then we're going to talk about the next part in a minute. This is true conversion. This is talking about people that have tasted, that have been enlightened. True conversion. They've turned from the darkness of the power of Satan to the light of God. It implies deliverance of sin and ignorance and, and experiencing the grace of God. This is true, like transformation. This is spiritual resurrection. This is a renewed mind. And the wilderness generation, so the children of Israel going through the wilderness, they experienced this in amazing ways. They saw miracles. God divided the Red Sea for them so that they could walk safely to the other side. He provided a pillar of fire by night to keep them warm and protected and a cloud, a pillar of cloud by day to keep them protected also from from the hot sun. And every morning, apart from sabbath morning there was manna on the ground for them to eat or cook with they experienced the the holy spirit they experienced so much signs and wonders and power of god yet they still didn't have enough faith to cross over and or to take the promised land even when god said So now we get to finish the the sentence. So we've just said that it's impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and become partakers of the Holy Spirit, tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, if they fall away, so it's impossible, to renew them again to repentance, since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to an open shame. Now, when I first read this, I was... A little worried that it meant once you give up on God, if you turn your back on Him, that's it. There's no other options. I see hope in this lesson, in Monday's lesson though, because it brings out there's two options. You either die to self, you crucify yourself and have God, Jesus, on the throne of your heart, or you have yourself on the throne of your heart and that means that you're crucifying Jesus again it's you've just swapped places again and for me this brings new meaning to the to the text that says take up your cross and deny oneself it's oh, <laughs> I, I really want to make sure that I'm the one that's crucified and not Jesus again for me in in the end of the lesson on Monday it talks about as long as the person does not fully choose to turn away from Christ there is still the hope of salvation and that's really beautiful I think God always wants us to have hope. All right. So, on Tuesday's lesson we talk about that there's no sacrifice for sins left. And I'm just going to read Hebrews 10:26 to 29 and it says for if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation that will devour the adversaries. That fear that comes with guilt. And then it goes on, anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Of how Much worse punishment, do you suppose, will he be thought worthy, who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing, and insulted the Spirit of grace. So, so the sin of where there is no forgiveness is trampling the Son of God underfoot, counting the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing, and insulting the Spirit of grace of grace. So please note that it doesn't say there's no atonement for any sin, because we can see in the sacrificial system that was a type showing that, yes, Jesus' blood has actually covered our, our the sins that we repent of. It's not a license <laughs> to go ahead and sin. No way. We need to confess and repent and put away our sins, but they are covered. God hasn't expected us to be perfect in the past but he wants us to grow into the maturity um, that he has for us and yeah through him (laughs) put away sin not relying on our own strength. Okay, so in the lesson, it talks about how trampling of Jesus underfoot implies that apostate, the the person who's falling away, has treated Jesus as an enemy. So it could be implied that as far as the life of this person is concerned, Jesus has been taken off the throne, which is what we were talking about before, which is occupied by the person himself. And so, in that case, and it's just even horrible to speak the words, but it's this person is setting Christ as the footstool instead. And that's exactly what Lucifer wanted in heaven. He was like, I want to be on the throne. I want to be above or at least equal with Christ. And it's just he's a created being. He's an angel. Like This is God. But he's still has that same mindset that he had when he was in heaven. This is Lucifer. He's just wanting to to put himself above Christ and that's in our lives and in our hearts as well. And so we have to really fight against that and just always choose for Christ to be on the throne of our hearts and not let Satan steal that. And the expression insulted the spirit of grace is quite powerful. The Greek term enibrisas, (laughs) insult or outrage, involves the manifestation of hubris, which refers to insolence or arrogance. So it stands in stark contrast to the description of the Holy Spirit as the spirit of grace. It implies that the apostate, the person who is rejecting Jesus, has responded to God's offer of grace with an insult. So the apostate is in an untenable position. He rejects Jesus, his sacrifice and the Holy Spirit. So you do not want to be in that position. All right. In Wednesday's lesson, it talks about better things. And in Hebrews 6, 4 to 8, we've already read part of it, but I'll just read the rest. For the earth which drinks in the rain, this is verse 7, that often comes upon it and bears herbs useful for those by whom it is cultivated, receives blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and briars, it is rejected and near to being cursed, whose end is to be burned. Okay, so do we want to produce fruit and be useful? to be cultivated, to receive blessing, or do we want to bear thorns and briars and be burnt? It's a pretty good analogy, actually. And I love how Jesus does that. In his parables, he brings an object lesson that is you just get lost in the story and then suddenly you realize, oh, that's actually me. (laughs) You see yourself in it. But all the defenses are gone because it's just a story about something else. But it's really about us. It's very beautiful. Okay, so Wednesday's lesson talks a little bit about we can have an intellectual understanding of scripture, but it not be in our heart and not show in acts of love. And Paul is really warning us of that. He's no, faith expressed by love is where it's at. And the other thing is, it's not about what you do occasionally. It's not about your religious deeds. It's about the tenet of your life, whether you're loving daily. Pretty convicting. Romans 13 and it's verses 9 to 12 and it says for the commandments you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet and if there is any other commandment are all summed up in this saying namely you shall love your neighbor as yourself love does no harm to a neighbor therefore love is the fulfillment of the law and do this knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed the night is far spent the day is at hand therefore let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light and especially verse 10 it says love does no harm to a neighbor therefore love is the fulfillment of the law and we know that the law he's talking about is the Ten Commandments because it's mentioned adultery, stealing, false witness. They're all part of the Ten Commandments. So love, faith expressed by love. And Paul invites us to also to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. So that just means look at those who are doing it right. Find out what's happening for them. What's their, how do they connect with God? Just rub shoulders with them, learn from them, copy them, imitate. Imitation is the highest compliment that you can give somebody because it's like you admire them so much that you often unconsciously or subconsciously copy them. So yeah, do that to people who are doing it right. All right. And he'd already presented the wilderness generation as a negative example of that through lack of faith and perseverance, failing to inherit what was promised. But then Abraham is a great example of who through faith and patience inherited the promises. And there are so many positive examples in Hebrews 11. So I'm just going to go, okay, by faith in verse four, it says by faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. And then verse five, by faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death. And then in verse seven, it talks about Noah being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear. And then in verse eight, it says by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive, as an inheritance. Then verse 11 talks about Sarah who received strength to conceive seed. She bore a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful who had promised. These all died in faith not having received the promises but having seen them afar off were assured of them embracing them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. And then it goes on in in Verse verse 21, by faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of his sons. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of his children of Israel. Verse 23, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were afraid of the king's command. By faith, Moses, by faith, just all of these by faiths. And it culminates in Jesus and his perfect faith. It says, in, verse, in Hebrews 12, verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now that is faith. And we, we're not expected to have faith in and of ourselves, just our own faith. We have the faith of Jesus. We have the example of Jesus. We have him living in us and we can choose his faith. So the next lesson for Thursday, it talks about God's promise or oath to us. Hebrews 6.17 says, Thus God, determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise, the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, We might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. And then it goes on to our memory text that we've covered. So I really like it's impossible for God to lie. It's impossible for him to violate his covenant. And then in Psalm 89, 34 to 37, and it says, My covenant I will not break nor alter the word that has gone out of my lips. Once I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. His seed shall endure forever and his throne as the sun before me it shall not it shall be established forever like the moon even like the faithful witness in the sky and how beautiful is that every time we see the moon we can remember that god was faithful to his covenant and the Sabbath School lesson says that according to the New Testament, both oaths were fulfilled in Jesus, the seed of Abraham, who ascended and was seated on the throne of David. Okay, and second, God has guaranteed his promises to us by the act of the seating, of seating Jesus at his right hand. The Sabbath School lesson says that his ascension has the purpose of corroborating the promise made to the believers because Jesus ascended as a forerunner on our behalf. So the ascension reveals reveals the certainty of God's salvation for us. We're sure of salvation because died in our place, the the death that we should have died for our sins, he took our place. But also he was raised to life. So we're sure of not only that our, our sins are forgiven and, and covered if, as long as we're repentant and, and but we have life. So it says, God led Jesus to glory through the suffering of death for everyone so that he might bring many children to glory. That's from Hebrews 2, 9 and 10. And Jesus' presence before the Father is the anchor of the soul, which has been fastened to the throne of God. The honour of God's rule has been waged on the fulfilment of his promise to us to through Jesus. You know, the question on the bottom, so good, of Thursday's lesson. It says, what do you feel when you think about the fact that God has made an oath to you? Who am I that God would make an oath to me? I just, I can't even believe it. Like, I was yeah I'm just not worthy and it says why should that thought alone help give you assurance of salvation even when you feel unworthy because it's all about him it's all about who he is living up to who he is no matter what I deserve in his eyes I'm worthy so that makes me worthy not because of anything that I've done but all because of what he has done and in Friday's lesson it just talks about how John went from being a son of thunder to pretty much the closest disciple of Jesus, and there's a beautiful quote from Steps to Christ, page 43, and it says, The warfare against self is the greatest battle that was ever fought. The yielding of self, surrendering all to the will of God requires a struggle, but the soul must submit to God before it can be renewed in holiness. And then she goes on to talk about how John desired to become like Jesus, and under the transforming influence of the love of Christ, he did become meek and lowly. Self was hid in Jesus. Above all his companions, John yielded himself to the power of that wondrous life. And John and Judas weren't so dissimilar at the start, but one will definitely be seeing in heaven, that's John, and he wrote scripture, and he just... (laughs) I love, like, my favorite book is the book of John because it's so deep and so beautiful. Whereas Judas, what did he do? He hardened his heart. He didn't grow step by step. And it just reminds me of Proverbs twenty four sixteen, how the righteous fall seven times. Let's go there. Okay, so, for the righteous man may fall seven times and rise again, but the wicked shall fall by calamity. And so what's the difference? The righteous one gets up again. He repents He asks God for forgiveness and he gets right back. And we need to really trust that God can forgive our past and not keep on living in the guilt of it and not repeating the same sins over and over again. God's patient and he understands, but it doesn't mean that we need to stay there in our sins. He's always inviting us a little higher. And I just want to finish with a quote from the Acts of the Apostles that I started before. It's on page 544 and 545. It says, It was John's deep love for Christ which led him always to desire to be close by his side. The Savior loved all the twelve, but John's was the most receptive spirit. He was younger than the others, and with more of the child's confiding trust, he opened his heart to Jesus. Thus he came more into sympathy with Christ, and through him, the Savior's deepest spiritual teaching was communicated to the people. The beauty of holiness which had transformed him shone with a Christ-like radiance from his countenance. In adoration and love he beheld the Savior until likeness to Christ and fellowship with him became his one desire and in his character was reflected the character of his master. Okay so we'll leave it there and I just trust that God will continue to guide you as you study the Sabbath school lesson. Thanks.